0: To be honest, that's kind of the beauty of what's happening in the in the media space right now. Previously, you needed to get tens of thousands of impressions on, on a story for it to be successful. Nowadays, if you get 50 conversions out of it, you know, you go home happy. And the people who are using it are happier because it's much more tailored to them. But also financially, it's actually much more successful.
1: Welcome to Media Voices, everybody. We take a look at the news and the views from the media world over the past week. I'm Chris Sutcliffe.
2: I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And that clip you just heard was from my chat with this week's guest, Jakob Parazinski, founding editor at The Fix, which is a trade magazine for media professionals just like you. We spoke about Yakov's background across journalism and management consulting and how that has informed a nuts and bolts approach the Fix takes to cracking the media management puzzle. That was a great chat. I love that. It's really good. I
1: uh, love like Fantastic.
2: FIX. Yeah, Fix is fantastic. When we do
1: our inevitable brands yeah, we want to yeah, win, yeah, yeah. Fix has got to be on there.
2: People we want to win.
1: But in terms of people losing, this first story has been, I mean, I don't think anybody has won apart from the commentators who've got to do some fantastic, fantastic, excoriating write-ups of BBC, of Forbes, of everybody. Basically, we're talking this week about crypto and its incursion into the mainstream media. The most, I suppose, high-profile one for us in the UK was earlier this week, following some detective work from Jim Watson, among others, the BBC announced that it was pulling an upcoming documentary, I think it was a full-length documentary, 30 Minutes, which was set to tell a story story of Hanad Hassad, who is a 20-year-old from Birmingham, who said he had become incredibly wealthy through trading crypto. So the the program was to show uh, Hassan distributing money to food banks, giving back after achieving this remarkable investment return of almost 16 million percent in just nine months. The only problem was that it was all bull- <laughs> um, And it, so it was based on very, very poor research because uh, Hassan's cryptocurrency, orfano I think that's how it's pronounced, it doesn't matter now, because it was shut down in October with tons and tons of unhappy investors claiming they were left out of pocket as a result. Oh,
3: so, so he launched his own cryptocurrency?
1: Yep. As is, as is possible in this world of decentralized <laughs> finance. And then you can do what's known as a rug pull, and you can just run away with all the money, or in fact run not away. deliver at all, and get on the BBC.
3: So it's a Ponzi scheme? <laughs>
2: it's all well, the yeah, yeah um so i said that a while back you did
3: i, I, was, I was waiting for you to say it and you didn't so i, I said it for you um, <laughs> this is i well, mean there's
2: two things going on with this one isn't there mm. there's the bonkers nature of cryptocurrency which we can talk about <laughs> um i think more importantly and, for us though. and you know what, actually there's some interesting stuff there that is worth talking about brian morris she's talked about it um but <laughs> more importantly from a BBC point of view, does this point to the fact that they don't have enough resources, particularly in the regional setups, to yeah. do the job that they're meant to do. This was a, how, was it, how does I, I that
3: guess, slip through the net?
2: Um, so it was made by the regional unit, however that is described in, in the BBC. So the fact-checking, the journalism, the research that goes into making these things, they don't have the resources to do it.
1: Because it was, yeah, it was going to be part of this regional flagship show, We Are England, which replaced uh, Inside Out, which was the kind of long-running regional current affairs series. That got cancelled because of BBC funding cuts. And then <laughs> to have one of these flagship programmes suddenly go, oh no, actually we we got taken for a ride by a scammer. The BBC is not a good look.
2: I have to say, this is, a, this is the story for our times. Mm. You know, the flagship program we are england not enough resources and done by scammers this could be a, this could be an allegory for the government <laughs> it's
1: it's an interesting one isn't it because the amount of work that must have gone into actually producing the documentary itself was belied by this complete lack of understanding about crypto that's that's understandable it is very opaque but the basic fact checking should have found this out
2: it's also not the first time the bbc screwed up crypto reporting. They did no. that thing about the squid game cryptocurrency and that squid coin just, just as it bombed. Yeah. Um, and then there's some other guy in Wales making eight grand a day, 20 year old in Wales making eight grand a day, and sipped he wasn't. Well, isn't there? I
1: mean, we've, we've spoken about this before about the kind of the lack of literacy around the internet, which is. Kind of a feature of legacy media, this kind of lack of understanding of how people consume, what they consume, just the nature of the beasts online. And this to me just seems to be more evidence that unless you have some digital natives and younger people working Mm. inside these corporations, you're going to get caught out by stuff like this.
3: Is there not a bit of a gap? It's part of this bit of a gap as well that, that there is very little, there is almost a big gap for reputable reporting around crypto. Mm. And that as a result, scammers and grifters do fill the vacuum. Like if you've got, mm. you know, even even your sort of your day to day finance trades, like th- this is a whole new ball game, and there's there's no like where would you go for reputable
2: source of information on this? No, there, there definitely are reputable sources for crypto reporting. It's crypto that's not reputable. not <laughs> yeah. that's kind of journalism's job. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. We can't just I'm oh, sorry guys, we can't report on this story. It's really fucking complicated. Um w- would you like this story about these little puppies over here that are being really well looked after? Is that's journalism's job to find out what's the scam.
1: All right. So here's a here's a nice counterpoint to that then. What went wrong at Forbes? Is <laughs> that well, does that just not do journalism anymore? Okay, more,
2: so t- well, you need to tell the story first.
1: Okay. Well, absolutely, because <laughs> there is a fantastic, fantastic headline this week. An incomplete history of Forbes.com as a platform for scams, grift, and bad journalism. Um so Forbes has been in the news this week because a rapper, and I see that whoever put this in has put this in inverted commas, has been accused of billions in crypto fraud. But Heather Morgan was also a prolific Forbes contributor <laughs> and is currently, I think, undergoing a trial for trying to launder. Four point five billion dollars worth of crypto. not
2: just make her the perfect Forbes. <laughs> I mean,
3: it's, it's tempting to go down the rabbit hole here because she's, uh, she's she's one of you, the character. more. The more you look at her, the more bonkers yeah. she gets.
2: Yeah, yeah. Like she <laughs> wraps That's under that. the
3: name Razzle Khan. Um, she she says that she's like Genghis Khan, but with more pizzazz. <laughs> um, <laughs>
2: Versace Bedouin is uh, her, her big song. These those are, I I I'm on
1: her side now because those are both app, like just fantastic claims.
3: You know, it's hilarious as all of this is, and that's That's the internet, isn't it? Um, this does raise, and and jo- Joshua Benton does a really good deep dive into some of the issues that this raises with Forbes's contributor model. It's not new issues, but it is definitely one of those cases where somebody has been using Forbes to. Yeah, to to use their platform um, she, to, to pick themselves just like up, and she's now yeah. <laughs> right. in the dark.
2: You're right about the rabbit hole, though. I just looked at this like in this thing from George says Our pinned tweet is: oh, "You have enemies. Good. That means you stood up for something." Churchill mm. quote. It's not a Churchill <laughs> quote.
3: It doesn't mean does shut up. Oh, but that, that that sums it up. <laughs> Um, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's just I think, I suppose, it's just if, if if you know, Forbes has had the contributor model for a long time, but it does very much open them up to legitimising people that are basically just been a bit bananas.
2: I have to I have to absolutely give a, sh- a shout out to Josh Benton here. He is on fire. Mm. It's like finding out Smokey the Bears behind all the wildfires in <laughs> California.
1: <laughs> you know? Have you seen the Tender Swindler? Or no, no it's on my like, list. Yeah, they're both really good. But this idea that you can kind of project this image of yourself now, and because of kind of the decentralized nature of a lot of the internet, you can almost invent your own personality. And well, Anna, on, Anna, an Anna
3: invented that, didn't she?
1: That's exactly, yeah, that's what Inventing Anna's about. So the fact that somebody has tried to do this, I almost wonder if they did it with the, <laughs> like Razzle Khan did it with the ultimate aim of getting a Netflix show made about herself. Quick update on this one, less than five hours after we recorded this section, Netflix did in fact confirm that they had commissioned a drama about these two crypto scammers, including Razzle Khan. So this is the fastest fulfilment of a prediction I think we've ever, ever had on the podcast.
2: There there is a serious serious point in all this, and and again, Josh Benton is all over this, about how Forbes has become this pay-to-play journalism Mm. pop. Mm. Uh, and that we're in in chasing scale with a contributor's network. you've just opened the floodgates for all this nonsense.
3: I mean, you've, yeah, you've got people just... that are saying, Oh, you know, if, if you pay me four $4,000, I'll get you a mention in a Forbes article. And mm. it's, it's, it's really, it feels like it's really damaged the, the brand over the last sort of five years. Like, does being a Forbes contributor mean anything anymore? Okay. Talk, talking the about Ford... Forbes is questionable business models. Yeah. <laughs> um, they have they've got a new investor so binance which is the world's biggest cryptocurrency exchange has made a 200 million dollar strategic investment in forbes which um fun fact is actually crypto's first big investment in a traditional media property um and it makes binance one of the top two biggest owners of forbes um after if if they go if they list themselves via a spac which they're planning to do so this was just, this is this really odd
1: D- i mean what the could possibly go a wrong? Long, I know, but the media industry has a long and proud tradition of accepting investment from, let's say, slightly dirty money. So, is this any different?
2: Also, the assumption that crypto money is definitely dirty money is not necessarily right. No, it's not. You're right. Um, but but it's weird.
3: We talk about you know billionaires. were billionaires the future of saving journalism? Or well, maybe it's maybe it's cryptocurrency. Uh, spoiler alert. Is. No. <laughs> and now for a slightly less bonkers news in brief um so newly formed dot dash meredith uh, that went through at the end of the <laughs> year where dot dash kind of bought meredith and they've merged into dot dash meredith um so they are ending the print editions of six of meredith's magazines uh, that includes eating well entertainment weekly in style and parents um I th- that there weren't any concerns i think about the performance of the magazines it was literally just that dot dash said that you know their approach when they bought meredith was to Basically, take and I quote dot Dash's online search approach with Meredith's decade-old household names. Mm. Um, he said that buying Meredith wasn't about buy, uh, buying Meredith was about buying brands, not magazines or websites. Um, which I suppose is a very small consolation to the 200 people being laid off from this move. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's this idea that, that they've essentially bought the brands, not the the ways yeah. that they distribute the media. So this
1: uh, <laughs> th- this reminds me of a, a fantastic thread on Twitter this week by Terry White was talking about what is necessary t- to kind of save the magazine brands and the magazine experience that you love and how many people kind of say, Oh, you know, I love magazines. I'll buy them all the time. And then in, in actual don't. fact, don't.
2: There was, and I haven't seen it for ages, but there was research about print brands going digital only. And the, basically it was a kind of starting gun for a slow decline because mm. they didn't have that touch point, particularly, you know these kind of newsstands supermarket newsstands. I can't remember where who did it. <laughs> its really helpful, but um, I don't know i mean i'm so so shocked and stunned by this story, not <laughs> I mean, it's always gonna be like this.
1: <laughs> moving on twitter has announced its full year results for 2021 broadly positive and while it did miss some of its financial targets it also managed to swerve the worst of the impact from apple's ios changes that are set to cost meta 10 billion dollars over the course of 2022 it also steadily grew its audience ned siegel who's twitter's chief finance officer described it as a solid fourth quarter it reported five billion dollars in annual revenue which is up 37 percent for the year which is great uh, it's investing in more valuable ad formats. And he says there are no changes to our goals of 315 million average daily users um, in Q4 2023, which is small for compared to some social networks. But as we've seen, Twitter kind of outplays them in terms of influence in a lot of cases. And $7.5 billion US dollars or more in revenue for the full year 2023.
3: But this is good because there were a lot of people that speculated that Twitter would died down a little bit as, um, certain, yeah. um, orange man labels were removed <laughs> from the platform. Um, and actually it seems to have, uh, largely <laughs> carried on growing steadily. So that's, that's good.
1: One thing I did notice, I was looking through the kind of the fine print of the, the results and they said that they estimate that of those daily active users, no more than 5% are scammers or bots. <laughs> Now that still seems to me to be a, a large amount of scammers or bots mm, on the platform.
2: Yeah. I also don't know if I buy that either. <laughs> oh, dear this one's me. interesting. Yeah, real media. Yeah, baby. Um, The business newsletter. Can we say it? it's a network business newsletter network? I think we can. Industry mm. Dive. Um, is set to break a hundred million dollars in revenue. Um, for this year so it's a network of about 50 business newsletters serving 22 different industries, seriously you should see the list of industries it is on one level the most boring list you can imagine (laughs) construction, pharma whatever it is Um, but they reach 2.5 million free subscribers um, through 25 daily 28 weekly newsletters their average open rates are over 30% um, the average open rate, apparently, according to Mailchimp, for medium publishing newsletters is twenty two percent. What do we now, get, I, guys? How does that compare to? How does that compare to us?
1: Mm. I think we're we're, we're about run about double that.
2: Double. <laughs> and and that's the point. with Industry this dive, you know, if you've got thirty percent and two and a half million people, people love you, and it's because I think there's are so it's real media, it's not scams, it's not Forbes nonsense, it's not whatever, it's real, honest to God, actionable insight that people can use in their jobs. Uh, CEO, oh, sorry. CEO Sean Griffey said, for us the strategy is to find valuable people and aggregate them. Even though, let's listen to this, anyone who wants to sponsor Media Voices, <laughs> Even though they're going to be smaller audiences, they will be valuable. And to achieve scale, you've just got to do it multiple times.
3: So I thought it was quite interesting reading this. You could you could take industry dive out of that paragraph and put Axios in it, and it's exactly the same story. You know, they've got they've got the business newsletters, they're small, they're serving the different industries, they've got sort of a variety of weekly and daily newsletters. They've got free subscribers. They've got really good open rates. I think they said theirs was sort of between 25 and 40%. And again, they've managed to build lots and lots of valuable niches multiple times in different areas. And I mean, look at them now.
2: It's terrible. There's riches in niches. This week's guest is Jakob Parazynski, founding editor at The Fix, a trade magazine for media professionals. We spoke about the approach The Fix takes to covering the business of media, its focus on emerging markets, other outlets don't always cover. First, we spoke about Jakob's background.
0: So it's kind of a mixed background. I've bounced between the worlds of journalism and uh, investment banking and management consulting, mm-hmm. which isn't your typical mix necessarily. Um, on the journalism side, I've sort of done all the different jobs from journalism, beat reporter, uh, all the way through CEO and chief editor. Um, but uh, I guess what brought me to the fix is, is uh, actually the other side. Um, at one point, I decided to leave media because I just didn't really see what the way forward was yeah. in terms of revenue models and how do you run this, um, and I sort of tried to See how the rest of the world um, runs their businesses and what you can learn there. So I went into management consulting for several years, um, working at McKinsey. Uh, decided to leave in uh, 2018, and come back to the media world and do media consulting there, and, and, and actually sort of bring the um, the kind of the the approach, the knowledge, the sort of the way of working um, that that you know that has been successful in other industries. Yeah. Uh, just bringing it to the media sector.
2: That idea of coming back with outside knowledge is really, really powerful. So the origins of The Fix and the mission of The Fix, what, what, where did you come from when you actually set it up?
0: I would say we, um, in, in setting up The Fix, uh, we uh, committed the uh, mortal sin that no journalist should ever do, which is launch a publication. <laughs> Um, for himself. Uh, basically, uh, we, uh, you know, we had a small team of, of people doing media consulting, and we needed industry research, um, the, the kind of uh, both articles and data sets and all of the kind of things you need to do to, to do your consulting job and, and sort of your management job. We just couldn't really find them anywhere. Uh, and so at one point, we just decided, well, why not You know, why not do them ourselves? Uh, That's how we launched The Fix. Um, We decided to create the publication that we could have really used.
2: That idea of making the magazine you want to read is very much evident in the way that you approach the media markets. The Media Voices podcast and the newsletter that we do is, is very much adjacent to The Fix. But we approach things in a very different way. Um, I think you guys get way more granular than we do.
0: I think that's, that's part of the idea. Uh, so, you know, the, uh, the question we always ask ourselves is, um, if you were to take a top management view, if you're like media manager, editor, you know, head of talent, whatever it is, um, but a senior role within a media company, why does this information matter to you? And what are the decisions that you need to make based off of it? And we always try to tailor the, the articles and tailor the sort of the content in a way that makes it driven towards action, driven towards decision making. And in order to do that, a lot of the times I find you need to sort of do this kind of, um, uh, what do they call it? Halo kind of jumps, right? That's one of those corporate buzzwords that you pick up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> traveling around the, the the consulting world you know is is to go from a high altitude but drop really low yeah. get into the detail and figure out you know what part of the nuts and bolts what part of the engine do you need to tinker with do you need to twist around um in order to make things work back at the top and then you know zoom back out again in terms of what that means for um for you as a as a manager so that's kind of the idea
2: i mean that's implied um uh in the name the fix that you're actually there trying to sort things out talk about the types of stories that you would cover the way you approach commissioning or your own research
0: i think maybe just to preface a little bit is that you know the fix started off as very much a side gig you know a little bit of a hobby that we would contribute to mm. um and since then it's grown and it's becoming uh, you know ever bigger and i think it's 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 fair to say that it's living a life of its own now um we're we're definitely in, uh, you know looking to expand the content and to to grow the range, but I think the the question that we ask ourselves whenever um, looking for stories is what are the pieces that are missing from the typical coverage? And so what I mean by that, and th- this goes back a little bit to my experience when I um, a- a- as an editor, I always found that there was a lot of attention paid to the editorial side of things. Um, but then whenever we talked about operations, about marketing, about talent, um, you know, about financials, the media world was just kind of empty. And mm-hmm. I think it was empty for a reason. Um, you know, when you're losing money for 15 years, um, you know, you tend to lose a lot of people and you cut departments that are not core and, you know, editorial was core. So people tried to safeguard it, but they would kind of cut out all the other departments. And so... At The Fix, what we try to do is we try to understand what is happening in all of those other places and what should be happening in in all of those other places. Because as much as, you know, having great content is essential, you know, if you don't have a, a, a functional... A marketing team to distribute it then you know you're going nowhere if you don't know you haven't figured out talent especially now I think this might be the biggest problem in media then um, then you know you're not going to be able to sustain your model um, it just the other part the non-editorial part is so important and that's where we we try to focus our energies uh,
2: the other thing that you guys do is, is cover markets that uh, other people don't
0: Well, that part of the story is just uh, personal. A lot of our team is from, um, uh, I would say, the broader East European space, whether it's, you know, um, uh, Ukraine, Georgia, Turkey. Uh, But uh, uh, there's also a, um, you know, myself, I I spent many years covering the region and and working in the region. Um, But I think there's also a sort of an idea there that uh, a lot of innovation these days um, is uh, happening in emerging markets and it's not necessarily always getting enough attention. Um, I think that's why publications like rest of world uh, you know are coming up to look at what's what's happening in literally the the, the, the rest of world and I think in publishing especially it's um, it's it's a big issue I mean, India is a is a place that I would love to spend a, a bunch of time yeah. in because there's just so much innovation happening there and uh, I'm pretty sure that the next uh, you know um, maybe not the next social media but certainly the next operating and AI solutions that uh, a lot of publishers worldwide are going to use are going to come out of there.
2: You were involved recently in an AI report weren't you which was focused on emerging markets how did you come to that?
0: Well, that idea actually came from um, from one of the uh, uh, donor organizations that's uh, active in in those countries, uh, international media support. Um, so we spoke to them, and uh, they sort of liked our expertise on the emerging markets. And myself, I, I did quite a bit of digital and data work, and a little bit of AI work whilst that. Um, uh, in, in my consulting jobs. Um, so I knew the space, uh, yeah. but not necessarily the players um, in in media. Uh, but yeah, we we essentially came together with IMS, uh, put together a team and asked ourselves the question, well, what, what is actually happening um, in all of these emerging markets? Is AI and media just a thing that, you know, the Washington Post or the Globe and Mail are doing and and I think the answer is definitely no. Um there's actually quite a bit of innovation and some of the cases are are really surprising.
2: Do you ever look around and think, "Oh my god, another New York Times story?"
0: Well, I think I think it's I think it's complicated. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of New York Times and 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 you know, it can get a little bit tiring. On the flip side of things, um I think there is in a a way I'm happy that that's happening because I think there is a problem that the and a lot of people in media are gonna you know disagree or even hate me for it but I think you know the market overall needs a lot of consolidation Um, you know it's there's just too many media out there too many publications Um If you take just the subscription market by itself, you know New York Times says there 's a hundred uh, there 's a hundred million english speaking people that are ready to pay for news. Uh, we want to be the biggest player at this point. They have like what less than ten percent or around ten yeah. percent of that market. Uh, what other industry has the biggest player at ten percent yeah so so I think if, if from one perspective it 's actually good that the New York Times is really. Jumping forward because you need scale and you need resources in order to be able to invest in R&D and really take publishing to the next level. And I think, you know, we're way behind the the tech companies. Um, You know, we need to reclaim space and it's only going to happen with a few winners really taking large chunks. But yeah, on a personal note, it's great to see other, other stories than the New York Times.
2: Well, I think the, the, the big thing there is that the New York Times doesn't preclude some of these smaller players from existing. They do two different things. Go back to what you guys are doing, the report's a great example. When you're talking about AI in Mexico, that's pretty niche. Do you think that is the sort of, is that the future for the sort of reports that you would focus on?
0: I think it's part of the story, um, it is It is maybe one of the more niche reports, but I think if we take a step back and compare how media looks versus other industries, this wouldn't necessarily be considered a niche report if we were lo- looking at you know the fintech space, right? right. Um, there is a lot of interest in what's happening in the payment space in East Africa, for example. Um, you know, it's it's it, it, which sounds relatively niche, but you know, fintech is just such a big industry that they can sort of afford to look uh, to 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 in you know put resources into the that kind of knowledge gathering. Um, and I think in media we're just a little bit devoid of resources, so we've only been looking at the big stories um, because the fix is very B two B as a publication in, in both the content the spirit. Um, for us, it doesn't it, it, based on our model, we don't necessarily need you know ten thousand readers for a report to be successful. I think if it hits a hundred people who really value it that's that's already great for us
2: I think in that sense, a hundred people is what's that whole thousand true fans is is actually what makes things succeed um and, and I think that's that model is really interesting in that sense.
0: Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, that's kind of the beauty of what's happening in the in the media space right now is, you know, previously you needed to get tens of thousands of impressions on, on a story for it to be successful. Uh, nowadays, if you know, if you get 50 conversions out of it, that's, you, you know, you go home yeah. happy. That's, yeah. that's great. You've made, you, you know, and the people who are using it are happier because it's much more tailored to them. But also financially, it's actually much more successful. And you know, I think I think that's overall that's making you know the industry better.
2: As an organisation, how many people work with the fix?
0: Uh, so that one's a little bit tricky. Um, so we have a core team of uh, four people, sort of who are very involved um, in in the fix, and then there's a, a bunch of people who sort of jump in and out, you know, a little bit helicopter contributors. They'll come in for a couple of meetings, pitch an idea. And uh, that's part of the, and and if we look at the sort of the wider um, team around the fix, uh, we're probably talking about, you know, um, about 12 to 15 people. Uh, So, you know, part of it is about having a really lean model, which is, you know, we're still at that place in media. I think it's, you you know, if you want to succeed as a small media organization, you need to start with a really lean model. Um, But it also, you know, what's really important for us is that we have voices of people who are active in the industry, who are, you know, doing specific jobs and who are pretty, you know, back to your point initially we need to get down into the details yeah. um so so we want people who can bring that view and you know it's much easier if they're working somewhere and allocate a couple of hours a week to the fix than if we you know we're bringing them on board full-time or even yeah. part-time
2: yeah they bring that experience as, as well as the kind of enthusiasm for the product they bring that experience that we have got from the real world Okay, so here's the big question then, (laughs) for all media, for all media owners, how do you fund the work that you do? Uh,
0: So it's a it's a combination of of several things as as most media. Um, To be honest, initially we just kind of liked the idea. We wanted to see if there was any appetite for it. Um, So we bootstrapped it, um, literally people just contributing their time. And, you know, um, I don't remember who volunteered to pay the the 50 bucks for a WordPress uh, (laughs) uh, site, but, um, you know, it was it it kind of uh, it was very, um, you know, sort of team effort. Let's sort of see if this this even has any sort of if there's any interest for it. Um, uh, after that, we got um, you know quite, quite lucky in the sense of um, Open Society's foundation uh, said that they were interested by what we're doing and uh, offered uh, a bit of support uh, to kick things off. Um, they've since sort of ramped that up a little bit. or well, not even a little bit. There. It, it's sort of been the, the main source of uh, funding together with uh, some additional support from international media support, so donor funding uh, in terms of ramping things up. Um, but uh, actually uh, commercial revenues are our main um, focus and we mainly do two kinds of things. Um, so there is a little bit of n- native advertising, uh, which you'll probably see more of on the on the fix in the coming months, um, uh, but the big thing is research and consulting. Yep. Um, so a lot of people uh, have, uh, or enough people have reached out to us to uh, help them with, you know, answer some questions about what's happening on this market or could you investigate this issue no. or, um, you know, what are these people interested in? Uh, and, and actually that's, uh, that's sort of where we see the future as well. Um, we want this to be um, a, a, almost a think tank mm-hmm. publication without becoming too dry uh, as think tank publications can become. No. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, that's where we see the, the future.
2: I think that model is really interesting. It's almost like a virtuous circle, isn't it? That you you express these opinions on how you, something should be done, and someone needs that doing, so they come back to you, and you end up with consulting. work. and you learn from the consultant, and you you write the next thing, and it it sort of feeds itself. I think it's a really interesting model in B two B.
0: Absolutely, and the um, the whole idea is that the more data and experience you gather. Um, the more you can sort of put things together and start to really see interesting stories come out and interesting insights come out. So it absolutely does, you know, every time we start something now, we'll have already something to build on, or at least in most, uh, most areas. Um, so, yeah, it definitely this kind of virtuous circle dynamic happening.
2: I love it. Publishers as experts. We ask all our guests a final question: It's a media recommendation for all our listeners—a uh, podcast, a book, or a documentary, film, magazine, whatever's whatever's really sort of made you think or made you smile or whatever. What would you recommend?
0: Uh, you know, obviously, Media Voices is, hey. a, is a great choice. But um, <laughs> but um, I would say that for me, a a really interesting um, uh, or or sort of. Uh, even a collection of really interesting podcasts that that played a pretty pretty pivotal role um where startup and reply all uh, both of them yeah. by gimlet uh, i think just the um the uh, you know the, the the really deep dive into how both finance works and entrepreneurship works and what lessons media can take from that, which is more the startup side, um, and then, you know, various internet arcana and, and uh, you know, uh, deep dives into how the digital world world works, which was Reply All. Um, I think both of them have immense value for, uh, for media. It, it's not necessarily the most fresh, but but those ones definitely played a big role for me. No,
2: I love that. that that idea of archive content just being, you know, still being relevant. I think it's wonderful. Regardless of what happened at reply All, in the end of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a sad story, but it goes to show you that, um, uh, look, you can have fantastic content, but then if your um, people management game isn't up to, you know, it can take you down like that.
1: If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, then we want to extend an invitation to head across to voices.media, which is our website. It contains an archive of every single episode we've ever put out. In addition to a couple of pieces of analysis and more importantly, the ability to sign up to our daily newsletter that goes out Monday through Friday. It contains the four most important stories that we found for you that day, including a link to the latest episode. And more importantly, it's free. So please do go to voices.media to sign up for our daily newsletter
2: and short of a crypto billionaire coming in and investing in Media Voices, or Chris laundering the billions of dollars in cryptocurrency that he actually has, um, we really appreciate when people come along to our coffee page and contribute to the work that we do. It keeps us going, makes us smile.
3: So the Publisher Podcast Awards 2022 Shortlist is now available. We released that mm. early this week. Um, on publisherpodcastawards.com um, there's some absolutely smashing names on that um, it's our strongest yet um, and we are planning an in person event <laughs> whether we are brave or foolish is a matter of opinion but anyway uh, we're releasing tickets for that this coming Wednesday so if you go to publisherpodcastawards.com make sure you're on that email list um, and we will hopefully see you on the 27th of
2: April
1: I am in a strict training regimen to get back into my suit.
2: Oh yeah and I've even thought of that. <laughs> oh, my
1: God. But until next week when we'll be back with an update on me and Peter's training and <laughs> another fantastic guest and the talk through all the news and views in the media world. Thank you so much for listening and do stay safe.
2: Bye.